The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. As we continue our series of post-draft discussions with general managers from throughout the National Football League, joining us now a guy who was busy before, during, and after the draft, Eric DaCosta of the Baltimore Ravens. Eric, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Yeah, you know, you got a fascinating array of framed images behind you. What, what is all that stuff? It looks very interesting. Yeah, well, you know, you got a bunch of players on the wall back there. Um, you got Marlon, you got JK, you got Odafe, you got Lamar, you got a bunch of guys in the huddle, you know, all kinds of my favorite players, I would say. Some of my favorite players. So this is your office. This isn't a place where you do these interviews that you'd rather not do. This is where you spend all your time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good. Well, it's nice to get inside your office and to have a little conversation. Your office, a fascinating epicenter for some discussions, I assume, in recent weeks. And obviously, although I focus on the draft with most of these folks. We got to start with the Lamar Jackson situation, which was resolved just before we got into the full-blown draft process. Um, how does it feel to have that behind you? It feels great. You know, uh, obviously, you know, it was a significant negotiation over the course of about a year and a half to two years and, you know, uh, required a lot of patience and, uh, you know, I think we got it done. It took some time. I wasn't always sure we were going to get it done, but, you know, I think the communication with Lamar was outstanding for most of the process. I appreciate all the energy that he put into the negotiation, and here we are. And you've done a couple of these now in recent months without an agent involved, Roquan Smith, back in January or thereabouts, and now Lamar. What's the biggest challenge when you have to negotiate, either sit down face-to-face, -face, communicate via phone, email, text message, whatever, with a player who's handling his own interests in trying to get a contract? Yeah, so there's a there's a bunch of challenges associated. You know, a, a part of it, you know, every player is different. Uh, but I think the, uh, you know, the, the hard part is you care a lot about these players, Mike. And, you know, it, it's not always as easy to be transparent about the player with the player as it might be talking to an agent about the player, strengths and weaknesses, where we see the player, those types of things. And that's just, you know, natural. You think about um, with anybody that you care about, anybody that you love, it's tougher to be critical with them or honest or transparent sometimes than it is with somebody who's just strictly a business partner or somebody else. Um, there's the education piece. Um, you know, these contracts can be, somewhat complicated, some of the nuance, some of the mechanisms that teams can use. Um, that that can be a challenge. I would also say that, you know, and I see this a lot now, um, most players prefer to communicate electronically rather than good old phone. And, um, you know, I've negotiated or tried to negotiate now over the last couple of years with, that, with actually three players who didn't have agents. 
And a lot of the communication takes place via email and text message, which sometimes can be a little bit challenging um, overall. How do you strike the balance? Because I know from some of the deals I've seen teams negotiate directly with players, it looks like the team took advantage of the fact that the player wasn't represented. How do you strike that balance between doing the best possible deal for the team, but also not taking advantage of a situation where maybe the player isn't as informed as he should be about certain things that could be tucked into the deal? Yeah, and that's something that we think a lot about and we've spoken about in-house. And, uh, you know, that can really be a disaster for the team in a lot of different ways, not only public relations-wise, but also just in terms of your own players. You know, I mean, you've got a bunch of guys downstairs who expect that you'll be fair with players. And if there's any kind of implication that we've taken advantage of a player, that would really not be ideal. Um, so the, I think the biggest thing is – being honest, um, communicating as, as best as possible and trying to be fair and, and, and actually, you know, encouraging the player to get as much help as they can, you know, in different ways. And if that's not an agent, then it's somebody else. It, maybe it's an attorney, maybe it's the union, maybe it's whoever, but, you know, it's a tough thing to go at it totally alone in some ways um, we've got to be very aware of that as well, so as not to have what you would say could happen because that would be a, a poor reflection on the organization. The answer to this one may be obvious, Eric, but I don't think I've ever seen the question asked anywhere. Did you have issues getting a deal done with Lamar Jackson after he was drafted in 2018? Or was it seamless, simple, slotted? There's nothing to really negotiate. We got a deal done easily. Well, I wasn't part of that actual uh, negotiation. Um, that was Pat Moriarty and Ozzy was the GM. Uh, my understanding and from talking to Pat, who still works closely with me and Ozzy, was that Lamar was, you know, very well prepared, uh, understood kind of the way that things work. Um, he asked really, really good questions, um, and it was a pretty seamless you know, I think a seamless way of getting a deal done. So, you know, I will say this, like Lamar, you know, is a good agent from the standpoint of he asks the right questions. He knows what he wants in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, he's aware of different, you know, mechanisms and, you know, issues with the contract, language terms, types of structures and things like that. He's done his homework. And with all of that stuff. And he's a very, very smart guy, savvy, and uh, he did a great job overall. This thing lingered for months before it was finally done. What was it that broke the ice to get it done last week? You know, I think it was really a, just a, a patience thing, um, you know, listening to each other. You know, um, I can't give you one specific thing. I would say that We've tried, you know, various structures and different things to get a deal done. Lamar's had his own feelings and ideas and a lot of other things. Um, we thought it was important that Lamar have a chance to kind of see what his market might be if he wanted to, if he wanted to investigate that. We thought that was important for him. Uh, I think the communication piece, uh, I think that Lamar could see from afar that we were trying to build the best team we could. 
uh, trying to add some weapons on offense around him to be the best offense we could be. And that in the end, I think Lamar, hopefully, I think so, uh, realized that we were the best place for him, that we love him, that our offer reflected that, and that we were the best place for him to thrive, and that uh, our city, our community, the organization, we really wanted him back greatly. You mentioned the aspect of letting him investigate what the market might otherwise bear. You used the non-exclusive franchise tag, gave him the chance to go out there and shop himself, gave other teams an opportunity to pursue him. How surprised were you that no one did? Well, you know, one thing I've learned in my, you know, almost 28 years now is that every team operates differently. Like, listen, there were many players in this draft that we thought were great players who fell. And there were a lot of players that, you know, we weren't quite as high on as other teams. And that's just kind of the nature of the business. Um, so every team evaluates these guys differently. We know who we are with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. We know what our record is. We know we're going to be a tough team to beat uh, every season with Lamar out there on the field. We're going to be a playoff team with Lamar Jackson with some good players around him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad, obviously. Uh, I was, was I surprised? Probably a little bit. But in the end, every team has to look at who they are, how they're built, what's important to them. Um, I always feel like one of the advantages to uh, free agency is when you have a guy in your team, you know exactly who he is. You know how he's wired. You know what's important to him. Other teams don't know that, you know. And so that's why, in my mind, free agency is always a little bit dicey because here we are coveting other players on other teams, and we don't know very much about them. Um, a lot of times we try to find out, but we don't, we know Lamar Jackson, we know how he's wired. We know what resonates with him. We know how competitive he is. Um, and so for us, it was a no brainer. How much of it do you think was just a simple recognition by other teams that if they spend the time and the effort to get Lamar Jackson to sign an offer sheet, the Ravens are just going to match it. So why are we wasting our time? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the franchise is a powerful tool. I mean, anyone will say that. Agents will say that. Teams will say that. The union would say that. And so that's exactly right, Mike. I think, you know, the fact is we were having a tough time getting a deal with Lamar. Um, again, we respected his position and his feelings, but we were still having a tougher time. But in the end, we felt like our deal, that the deals that we had made, we felt they were credible deals. We felt they were strong deals. And we felt like we were in a position to not, not that we could match every single deal, but we felt like we would be able to match most deals. And that if a team were willing to do a deal that we couldn't match, it would be very hard for that team to do that type of deal. Not impossible, but very difficult. We already had the $32 million as a placeholder on our salary cap. Other teams didn't. That's problematic for other teams. So in the end, it's a calculated gamble, I would say. You know, is a team going to go after Lamar Jackson? And if they do, maybe, just maybe, the deal is something we can match, which makes life easier for us. One of the realities of any negotiation is the contract signed by other players. It provides parameters. It provides structure. It provides clues as to where the market currently is. Which quarterback contract had a bigger impact on the Lamar Jackson situation? Jalen Hurts or Deshaun Watson? Oh, man, that's a Good question. 
I mean, I think they were both kind of hovering overhead in different ways. I mean, obviously, the the Watson deal was was really something that the media focused on quite a bit and was fascinated by and the impact that, that would have on the negotiation with Lamar. And then I think the the Hertz deal, you know, it hit before we got the Lamar deal done. I would say that, you know, the contract that we did with Lamar is not that dissimilar uh, from the contract that we offered Lamar in September. And I think that contract actually had the biggest impact um, of the whole thing because we felt at the time that that was a strong contract offer. We had a small window to get that done. Lamar had put a self-imposed end of negotiation date uh, before the season started. We felt like we were getting close to a deal at that point, but we ran out of time. And so um, we decided to kind of revisit that contract. We augmented and added some money in different ways to that contract. And fortunately, we were able to get the deal done. Um, but when we compare the two deals, the deal from September and the deal that we offered Lamar, that Lamar accepted, you know, uh, the framework was there for, with that deal back in September and allowed us to get to this point. What do you think changed it then from his perspective to get him to take it now, that framework and that structure now when he wouldn't take it back in September? You'd have to ask Lamar that question. You should try to get him on your show. I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to speak for Lamar. Um, that's a good question. I think just from our perspective, problem solving, we're going to just kind of keep trying to solve these problems, keep offering deals, trying to keep the relationship alive. And uh, we felt like it was our time last week to try to do it again. And fortunately, we got the deal done. I think for a lot of people who don't follow this closely, it's very reasonable for someone like Lamar Jackson, as of a year ago, to look at the Deshaun Watson contract and say, well, hang on a sec. He's getting $230 million, five years, fully guaranteed, every penny guaranteed. I'm an MVP. He's not. I don't have any off-field issues. He's got 25 civil lawsuits that are pending. Why don't I just get what he gets? Why is that not the starting point for me? A lot of people believe that. Can you help us understand why the Deshaun Watson situation, in your mind, different from the structure that we've seen with other deals? Yeah, you know, um, Again, I really wasn't involved with Deshaun Watson in any way. I don't know a lot about the situation. Only what I've read on your site, of course, uh, Mike. But, you know, I think every player is different. Uh, every organization is different. Uh, every organization structures deals differently. We don't always agree with the, the deals that other teams do. We respect them. Um, but every team comes at a deal in a different way. They assess the player differently, and they have to look at their own organization and how they want to be built over time. And uh, we had an idea of what we thought was important to our team. We want to be in the playoffs every single year. We want to be a team that can compete every single year to win the Super Bowl. And in that idea is that we have to be able to keep as many good players as we can. Um, because of that, we had to do a deal that allowed us to be able to sign players, be able to get under the cap, be able to spend as much as we can but be strong in as many positions as possible. And for us, it felt like this was the right structure to keep Lamar Jackson long-term and be able to do all those things. Apart from the Jalen Hurts contract, it felt like the signing of Odell Beckham Jr. went a long way toward breaking the ice. Is that fair 
to think that the arrival of OBJ helped set the stage for the contract to come? Well, I don't think it hurt, you know. Um, listen, we had been talking to OBJ for about six to seven months. We started talking to him last season, had some good conversations last year. He wasn't ready at that point to commit or play in 2022. We continued those discussions. Um, we felt like, you know, it was a good bet that he'd be a productive player for us this upcoming season. Um, we felt like he would be a very popular player on the team with the other teammates, including Lamar. Uh, we felt like there'd be a good energy there and a good synergy and that he would come in at one of our weaker positions and augment that room. Um, we felt like the combination of OBJ with, with uh, Rashad Bateman, and Devin DuVernay and Nelson Aguilar and Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely and all those guys would give us a better team. Um, obviously, we we thought that with Lamar Jackson, that would be the best possible solution. Um, I think Lamar was probably happy. I mean, I think his social media posts indicated that he was happy about the OBJ signing. Um, but for us, you know, it was more about building out the receiver room as best as possible not necessarily as an olive branch to Lamar Jackson, but building the best team we could at the time. What do you say to those who believe that you grossly overpaid OBJ in relation to what else was out there for him? I think a lot of factors go into whatever you decide to pay a player. I mean, we look at it from a lot of different lenses. Um, you know, one-year deal, obviously, we paid a lot of money to him. We think we're going to get that benefit from him as a player. But we're looking at a lot of other things too, Mike. We're looking at potentially what he might get as a comp pick the following year on a one-year deal. Has a good year for us. It's the market next year. What's that going to look like? We're looking at things like the benefit to the community, the benefit in ticket sales, jersey sales. How's he going to play? Uh, what's he going to do for our offense? What do our coaches think about him? Remember, Todd Munkin had a relationship with him, so we had some information about OBJ. Um, and then how's that going to affect – you know, Lamar is a passer, you know, how's he going to play? We want to maximize Lamar's ability. I've probably done a poor job of doing that over the last couple of years in some ways by not having more receivers around him. Um, and we love the guys we have, but, you know, in terms of building the best possible offense, um, that's a factor too. So, you know, every situation has residual values associated. Every player that you bring in um, is different. And they affect things differently, leadership, ability, community, whatever that might be long term. And we see OBJ as a big part of that whole thing. And I think that's one of the points that has been overlooked in the transition your offense has undergone this offseason from the arrival of OBJ, the selection of Zay Flowers in round one, the arrival of Todd Monken as the offensive coordinator in his history compared to the way your offense was. It seems like it's kind of hiding in plain sight that the Ravens are going to be a different offense maybe significantly different offense in 2023. Yeah, well, I'm just getting a look at it now, you know, in these football schools and different things. I mean, we're going to look a lot different. I mean, the players will remain the same. Most of the players, the whole offensive line is coming back. Our running backs come back. Our tight ends are coming back. The receivers look different. But there's a real opportunity for us, I think, Mike, because we are going to be different. We should get a bump just by being different. Um, this year, we see that around the league with new offenses and new defenses. Um, we're very, very excited about where we are as a team and uh, can't wait to see Lamar out there throwing the ball to these guys and see what that's all going to look like. A couple more and then I'll let you go. And I appreciate you taking so much time to do this, but I can't help but wonder whether or not this shift in offensive philosophy is about the idea of 
Lamar's been around five years. We've got him under contract for five more. We'd like it to last even longer than that. At some point, we've got to reduce the wear and tear. We've got to reduce the design runs. We've got to protect him so he can play longer into his life than he otherwise would be able to play if he's constantly getting banged around. Well, you know, of course. I mean, I think that's, um, you know, kind of what our motivation is with our entire team is how do we keep our team as healthy as possible? Interestingly, with Lamar, you know, the two injuries that he suffered, if I'm not mistaken, they both happened in the pocket. They didn't happen with him as a runner. They happened with him in the pocket. And so I don't know what that means, um, except that we've got to do a better job protecting him as a runner in the pocket. Um, and whatever we do, he is, you know, a former MVP, hopefully, an, uh, you know, a future MVP type of player. He's a guy that can take us as far as we want to go and, uh, you know, got to keep them healthy, but we got to keep our backs healthy. We got to keep our receivers healthy, our corners healthy, our linebackers healthy. Um, you know, we made strides with that this year, you know, uh, which is great. You know, the prior two seasons, uh, we had some injuries this year was better. Um, we've tried to address that. I think John does a great job of evaluating everything we do from a wellness and performance standpoint, and that'll continue to be something that we focus on greatly. Last one for you. I hardly even got to your draft class, but this Lamar Jackson situation was such a big deal throughout the NFL, and it was a great opportunity to talk to you about it. With Joe Flacco's deal 10 years ago, three years into it, a negotiation was necessary to adjust cap numbers, et cetera. Do you believe after the progress you've made with your relationship with Lamar Jackson recently, it's going to be easier to do business with him in the future, whether it's at the end of this current deal or at some point during the next five years when you have to go back to him and say, we'd like to either extend, we'd like to restructure, we'd like to do something with this contract. Will it be easier the next time around? Well, I mean, I think there was a song, Mike, you got to have faith, you know, um, <laughs> listen, I hope, but, you know, I think that the relationship with Lamar is strong, you know, it wasn't always easy, but, you know, Lamar knows how I feel about him personally. And I made a joke at one point that, I much prefer Lamar Jackson, the player, to Lamar Jackson, the agent, uh, for sure. But, um, you know, listen, I, I I can only hope that um, we'll be at that point someday and do another contract with Lamar, another extension with Lamar. And that would uh, that'd be great because that means we've had a lot of success. And, um, you know, again, takes two to tango, communication. Uh, it's not something that I uh, am looking forward to anytime soon. But when the time comes, if we're in that position to be having those discussions, I would say that's a real positive. I don't know whether you meant to do it or not, but on the day George Michael is inducted or at least announced he's going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you go with the George Michael reference. So well done whether you meant to do it or not. Eric, well done on getting the Jackson deal finally done. Congratulations on another successful draft. Appreciate some of your time. All the best. And we look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Mike. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, joining us now as we continue our series of post-draft interviews with general managers from throughout the National Football League, Steelers GM, finishing his first draft as the man in charge, but he's been in that draft room a few times, Omar Khan. Omar, welcome back. How are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. How different is it being the guy who's sitting in the GM chair at the draft? You know what? It, it was uh, obviously it, it's, it's different, uh, but I, 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 was, you know, I was right next to Kevin for so long. That I think it was a seamless transition. Um, it was pretty cool. Obviously, a dream come true for me to be sitting in that chair. But uh, in terms of the process and all that, it was pretty, uh, you know, it's been a smooth transition. So I, I, I had a great teacher in Kevin. You know, I've learned from one of the best of all time and, you know, watching him in action. So it was easy. He's always been one of my personal favorites. And I saw recently he's helping with yep. transitional issues for former players, which I think is a great thing. It's an underutilized facility that a lot of teams don't really engage in how involved was he in the scouting and the draft process and just for you to bounce ideas off of ask questions of as you got ready for your first draft in charge of the room he wasn't really involved directly in the process but he's always been from the day I got this job he's been available to me and I you know I text him I call him I ask him for uh, advice on certain things and you know how to handle certain situations and he's always available to me and you know, it's been, always been a great resource. We got a laugh earlier this week. We played a clip of you and Coach Tomlin, and Tomlin used a term that I had never heard before, the con artist. <laughs> now, now, look, that, that's always had a negative connotation. You don't want to be a con artist, C-O-N. Yeah. I guess K-H-A-N is a better formulation of the term. Where'd that come from? I don't know. I mean, that that, that day he was, he said his, his mom had said that, uh, she had read that somewhere and he just got a, a real kick out of it. And little did I know he was going to bring it up in the press, con- <laughs> in the press conference, but he did. Um, I, I mean, I've been called worse. <laughs> so what am I gonna say? We all have. And again, C-O-N bad, K-H-A-N good. And there is an artistry to the job that you've done. One of the things that I also got a chuckle from this week, the description by coach Tomlin of his pursuit of goons. And he has since, explained and elaborated on what he's looking for. I think it came from one of your draft picks first, but then Coach Tomlin was on SiriusXM talking about it. How, how do you scout for goons, and what's your understanding of what Coach Tomlin is looking for when he wants a goon? Well, I, I didn't see his serious radio interview or his explanation of that. Um, what I can tell you is that, you know, after the season ended last year, obviously disappointed, you know, we ended up – we missed the playoffs. Um uh, but we, there was a lot of good that came from the last month of football. But we, we, we got together along with Art Rooney and we came up with a plan. And we had a vision for what we wanted our, our 2023 roster to look like. Um, 
and I'll just say that our picks and our signings are all reflective of, uh, uh, of what our vision was for the team. Um, you know, and there's, there's an opportunity to keep adding to that. We will. And, but I, I think, I, I think that's, that's, you know, our, our signings have really been reflective of who we want to be this year. Well, who is it then? What, what, what is it that you're trying to make the team into for 23? You know, you know, Steeler football, you know, you just want toughness, physicality. Um, there's, there's a lot of characteristics that we want, we, we, we thought about and really wanted to prioritize. And I, I think when you look at the, the players that we've signed and drafted, I mean, that's, you, you'll see what, what type of uh, Steelers we're looking for in 2023. And I'll paraphrase Coach Tomlin here. He, you just don't want somebody who's going to be reckless, like a Tasmanian devil that doesn't know when to stop. It's being physical, but being smart about it, knowing the limits, knowing where it can get the team into a problem if you're being physical beyond the whistle, for example, or being too physical in a way that results in a penalty during the play. I imagine that's a tough balance to strike, and it's even tougher to find in the players you're scouting who has that mindset where they're going to be violent within the confines of the game but also be able to turn it off at the right time yeah i think that's part of the pro our process and the people that we have looking for the uh the right players and the right stealers that we want that really are in charge of helping us identify who those players are um so we had a very detailed process this year and uh, our our scouts and um our scouting directors knew the directive that they had in terms of what we were looking for, what our vision was. And, you know, it sort of worked out where we feel like we got the players that actually, uh, you know, fit into that vision. In your experience, Omar, what's more difficult taking a player who doesn't have that physicality, that mindset and drawing it out of him or taking a player that maybe has too much of it and reeling it back in? Uh, that's a good question, Mike. Um, you know, I'd have to think about that, but I, I think it's probably easier to reel it back out of them if they have too much of it, you know, reel them back. I think that'd be probably uh, easier to do. The Steelers have a history of trading up for players that the team really wants. I think of Troy Polamalu, great move to trade up for him. Santonio Holmes became a Super Bowl MVP. Devin Bush, I mean, two out of three ain't bad, I guess. But uh, with, with Broderick Jones, you didn't make a big move, but you made a move. You went from 17 to 14. What, what about Broderick Jones attracted you to him to the point where you felt compelled to move up to get him? We spent a lot of time with Broderick. We interviewed him uh, at the Combine. Uh, we went to his pro day, had dinner with him the night before his pro day, spent a lot of time with him at his pro day, and then we brought him in for one of, the, uh, one of our 30 visits. And, uh, you know, we just, we just felt like he was a stealer. You know, it, he was um, – He's just a very impressive young man, and obviously he's a good player, and the future's bright for him. He hasn't played a ton of football, and, you know, there's a lot of upside there. Um, but going through the process, he was a player that we had targeted, and, you know, the way the board was coming coming down, um, we knew there was a chance he'd still be there. But once we got opportunity to get to 14, you know, it was a no-brainer for us. What's the moment for you, Omar, when you decide this guy's a stealer? What is it that he said that he did? What happened that caused you to say this is our kind of guy? So that, that's a good, that's another good question. Um, when, when you're a part of this organization, people ask me this all the time, like, what does it mean to be a stealer? And when you're part of this organization, you, you just 
you just sort of know when you've been here long enough. Like there's, I, I gave you a thousand characteristics, but you just sort of know. And, you know, just being around Broderick and Keanu Benton, uh, Nick Herbig, uh, Darnell Washington, you just, when you're around, you just know that these guys are going to fit into our culture and they're going to make us better. And their Steelers are going to be impactful in the community. You, you just know. Um, I mean, that's the best way I can answer it. It's, it's just, I could give you a million characteristics. We just, we just, we just know. Well, and I've been in and around Pittsburgh my whole life. I mean, I think I can sum up some of them. You've got a certain amount of loyalty, commitment, pride, selflessness, all the things that you need to get 53 guys to come together and behave like a team. And look, we see other characteristics that certain players have where it becomes problematic, selfishness, one of them, but there's a model to it, I guess. And, and it is something that maybe you just know it when you see it, when the package is there that has everything you're looking for, you've got the characteristics that make a guy suited to wear black and gold. Yep. That's right. Okay. So last two years, you had Najee Harris fell to 24, didn't have to trade up and get him. Everybody kind of had an inkling. You were maybe targeting him. You didn't get jumped. You didn't have to move. Kenny Pickett last year, same idea. A lot of people thought you were going to go quarterback. Some people thought Malik Willis. Some thought Kenny Pickett. You didn't have to move to go get him. What was different this year where you felt like to get our guy, we can't just let it fall. We have to go up. There, there, you know, we, we, we had a, um, a, a couple of players that we targeted and Broderick was in that, in that group. And, you know, as, as the draft was, was going, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it was just we, we didn't want to risk him not being there. Uh, we felt like he's going to help us not only this short on the short term, but long term. And, you know, we worked the phones and the opportunity was there for us to trade up and get him. And, you know, we had to give up a fourth and, you know, you don't like to give up your draft picks if you don't have to, especially when you don't, when you don't have a lot of them in, 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 in a given year. And it was just an opportunity. The opportunity was there. And, you know, we, we were we were convinced that we wanted to make Broderick a stealer. And obviously you made the move when you did, because I'm assuming you believe that the Jets would have taken him at number 15. Otherwise you would have let it play out one more step. What kind of information do you have in that moment that tells you the Jets are likely going to take him? Is it mock drafts? Is it your own research? Do you have inside information? Does somebody tell you, hey, look, I've been talking to the Jets. I think they're going to look at this guy. What is it that allows you to come to the conclusion that you believe if he's there after 14, the Jets are going to take him. Yeah, no, no insert, no inside information. But we, we have our uh, Sh Sheldon White, uh, who's our director of pro, does a really good job of preparing us leading into the draft as to what every team's specific needs are and what what he believes their priorities are. Um, and it wasn't just the Jets, but there were teams behind us that you know we we had the same concern that they might come up and uh, uh, had a need for an offensive tackle that might come up and. Uh, and, and trade up to get Broderick. And, um, you know, again, when that, the opportunity was there, we just didn't want to take the chance of, of waiting to see if he was there or not. But I, we had no inside info that that's who the Jets were going to take. It's just you know, just a hunch. I saw someone report this week that Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, deliberately took less than maybe he could have or should have gotten for that three-spot drop just to stick it to the Jets. Did you get the impression that he was motivated to make that move? I, I did not. I mean, those, those conversations did, did not happen with us. Um, you know, I think when these trades happen, you know, 
we make an offer and say, this is our best offer. And if it works great. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And, you know, that's what we were comfortable giving up was a fourth round pick. And, um, you know, fortunately for us, it, it worked out for us and, and the Patriots. Now you guys had basically a second first round pick, given that the Dolphins forfeited theirs. You had pick number 32, number one in round one, but de facto last pick of round one. Once you make the trade up and take Broderick Jones at 14, how active are you the back end of round one, exploring the possibility of maybe moving back into round one? Is that something that happened? Yeah, we we uh, we had the conversations and we talked to uh, a couple teams, uh, you know, and it, the, the, the deal couldn't manifest itself. But the conversations really happened once round one happened. Uh, round one was over. We we got uh, a handful of calls and got some serious offers and we thought about it long and hard. But at the end of the day, we didn't want to trade away from uh, from uh, Joey. I'm always fascinated by that 18-hour pause, Omar, between the end of round one and the start of round two, because if you hold that top pick, it's like having the first overall pick in the draft where you can entertain for much more than 10 minutes the possibility of doing that trade. And there were teams that were motivated to move up. We saw the Titans, the Raiders, and the Falcons each move up. I think they had different targets in mind for each move that was made. How close did you come to accepting one of those offers to move out of number 32? We, we, we value, we had some really strong offers um, and with Art Rooney and, and uh, Mike Tomlin, we, we got together, talked about them. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the risk of trading away from Joey just wasn't worth it for us. We, we thought very highly of Joey Porter Jr. And um, there were some good offers and these teams made a strong push, but um, it, it just, we felt comfortable with Joey at that point and felt, he addressed a serious need and he was a really good player and a good prospect scale of one to 10. How surprised were you? He was still on the board after the first 31 picks were made. Hmm. Um, I, I would say based on our board, we were, we were very surprised. He was still there. And look, it's a great story. And maybe if there was no draft, Joey Porter jr. Is a guy you would have signed. He would have chosen to come to you the way he chose to go to Penn state. How much, of the organization's knowledge of his dad, of him as a little boy, every step of the way. How much of that influenced the assessment of Joey Porter Jr.? I know at a certain point it's robotic and it's quantitative, but how helpful was it that this is somebody you guys have known for years? Well, I'd say from the football standpoint, um, you know, that's it's a credit to Joey. I mean, he it's it's a reflection of his success at Penn State and his abilities from the character part of it. I I'd say it was obviously a benefit. You know, we, we knew Joey and Christy, his mom and dad, and very well, they're great people. Uh, we've known little Joey since young Joey jr. Since he was, uh, you know, really young and remember him running around the facility here. Um, and it's been great to see, you know, watch him grow up. Um, but from the football standpoint, I'd say it's, you know, he, he, it's really nothing to do with his parents. It's, it's really him. And, you know, he's how he's grown and become a, a solid football player. That's a direct reflection of him. Now, were you scouting him when he was running around all those years ago, like checking his footwork and seeing if there was any potential there? Oh, <laughs> I was not, but I obviously knowing Joey, Joey senior, I'm sure I, I'm sure I felt there was a future there at some point. It, it's uh, it's, it's been great to see uh, some of these, uh, you know, some of the young, the younger kids from, you know, Alan Fanica's family, you know, watching his kids grow up, Heath Miller, 
uh, Joey, uh, Heinz Ward. Um, it's been just, it's just been fun watching all those kids grow up. I'm, I'm starting to feel old. Well, and that's the thing, you know, you, you see, and, and I know I've, I've, uh, trust me, I, weren't you just four years old the other day? I'm sure you were thinking yeah. that with Joey yeah. Porter Jr. Yeah. Um, there's an element of it that I tried to articulate on our show this week where I could envision Coach Tomlin kind of taking him aside saying, look, you know, people are going to think you're here because your dad was here and you've got to prove yourself on your own. And it's kind of a challenge to you to be your own guy and to prove why you belong here, that you have to establish yourself separate and apart from your name. Is that part of the challenge going forward? And is my assessment anywhere close to the mark that that's kind of the way Mike Tomlin's going to approach it with Joey Porter Jr.? Yeah, I think part of the, that, that was part of the visit when he came in, you know, we had him come in for a visit, uh, was just addressing the fact that, you know, you know, we do business with you, you're in Pittsburgh, it's your hometown. And, you know, what type of effect is it going to be the, the good, the bad and everything. And uh, that was all addressed during that 30 visit. And we felt really comfortable with it. One of the moves that you made this year that fascinated me, and it was kind of hiding in plain sight, and I didn't think anything of it, but it was the Allen Robinson trade. Once the Steelers traded for Allen Robinson, my reaction was they must know something the rest of the league missed out on. And I, I, my first thought was this must be a guy you really liked back in 2014 coming out of Penn State. He went round two to the Jaguars, obviously. He's been around the league. He's done some great things. Had a down year last year. Things didn't work out with the Rams. You had an opportunity to get him a pretty good deal for the team. But I'm curious to hear, Omar, what it is that you see in Allen Robinson and how much of it does date back to the work that the organization may have done scouting him coming out of Penn State nine years ago. Well, I'd say that that's where it all started. He really... uh... Coach Tomlin got a great feel for him when he was coming out of college and out of Penn State, got to know, uh, you know, his parents at the pro day and got to know Allen a little bit. Obviously, they interacted whenever we played. Uh, he was a free agent last year. We had um, uh, we had an interest in him and, you know, it did, didn't work out. He ended up going to the to the Rams. Um, but one of the things that, that that coach and I had discussed early this year was we wanted to get a uh, find a, a veteran uh, leader uh, in that receiver room. And uh, when the opportunity came about where we were able to have some conversations with the Rams and, you know, they went on for uh, a few weeks, um, it, it was a no-brainer for us. Uh, just the leadership, obviously the talent, he just brings so much to the, uh, to the organization. He's just a great community person. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's exciting to have him as part of this team. Why was it important to find a veteran leader for your receiver group? You know, we got a, a young, it's a young group and you always like having a, uh, a veteran in there and uh, you know he can play in the slot he can play outside and just has some flexibility and it's always to have it's always good to have a you know a, a strong leadership a veteran leadership pres- presence in that room ever since I've been here you know when we've been successful there's always been uh, that individual in that room tell me what your work days are like now that the draft has come and gone uh that's <laughs> you know it's uh it's still uh trying to catch up a little bit with my family they were I've uh neglecting them a little bit over the last couple months, but uh, just um, still coming in early. You know, we're having meetings. We're, we're reviewing how the draft process went, what we did and what we didn't do, what we could have done, what we, uh, where we can improve. We're trying to work on our process uh, for next year. Now, right now, since it's fresh on our mind, um, uh, you know, we're getting ready for rookie camp next week. Um, 
And, you know, we're still trying to get our 90-man our roster together uh, before we get to Latrobe. Let's fast forward to next week. The schedule is due to be released reportedly on Thursday. When that shows up in your email box or on your phone or wherever you get a chance to look at it, what's the first thing, Omar, that you check? The, ooh, the first thing I check, um, I think now that I have a family and kids, I think I, I, I first thing I do is check where we playing during the holidays. <laughs> I think that's, that's probably the first thing I check, but um uh, you know, we kind of take the, uh, I kind of take the, you know, wherever, whenever approach. So wherever they send us, whenever we'll, we'll be ready to go and we'll go from there. Well, Omar, the Steelers are always ready to go. You know, I was on 93.7 The Fan yesterday, or no, it was Wednesday, and they asked me if the Steelers are a playoff team. And I said, I am always going to pick the Steelers to be a playoff team. I am never going to pick against the Steelers. It's that organizational attitude. It's been there for 50 years. You've been part of it for more than 20 years. That desire, that commitment, and I know every team says they have it, but I feel like the Steelers have it top to bottom, inside and out. And it's one of the reasons you guys always need to be taken seriously. No matter how bad the season starts, there's always that reality of a strong finish like the one we saw last year. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that's always our goal to not only make the playoffs, but to uh, to go far into the playoffs. So we feel good about where the roster's at. But, you know, time will tell. Do you ever sit back and I know that the standard response is we're only concerned about our own team. But over the past couple of years, past two off seasons, have you ever just thought, I wish some of these great players that were in the NFC would just stay there, just stay there. There's too many great players that are jumping conferences and it makes it harder to survive, to make the playoffs in advance when you've got all these great players who have now congregated in the AFC. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you said it uh, when you start off the question, but you know, all we can do is worry about ourselves and be the best best uh, team and best people we can be and, and, and see where that takes us. Well, we wish you all the best with it, Omar. Thanks again for some of your Thanks, time. Mike. Congratulations on the success, and we look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Joining us now, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, entering his second season, coming off of a very successful inaugural campaign. He is Kevin O'Connell. Coach, welcome back. How are you? Mike, I'm doing well. How are you? 
I'm doing great. We're catching up a little bit ahead of time. And look, after the draft, for me, the world starts to be manageable until camp opens. You are not there yet. You've still got plenty of work to do. Give us an idea what the normal workday is for you in this window between draft and your break pre-training camp. Yeah, so we're uh, we're now in phase two uh, of our off-season program, which is one of my favorite times of the whole year. Uh, we get to get out on the grass with our guys. You're a little limited in what you can do from a standpoint of uh, true football, 11-on-11, 11 11, anything like that. But what we can do is work a lot of technique, fundamentals, really teach our offense and, and defensive systems, get some special teams in there as well. But uh, you really get to watch your coaches coach, you know, you know, as as crazy as it gets sometimes for me, uh, my true passion still is coaching on the field. Uh, I try not to step on anybody's toes uh, from a position coach standpoint, but then I remember I'm the head coach, so I can coach anybody I want out there. Um, but uh, it is fun for me. We've you know, our, our guys are really dialed in on, you know, year year one to year two, especially offensively, um, really feel some ownership from our group. Uh, and then the excitement and defensive uh, defensively of bringing in Brian Flores and and just a completely different system, uh, a little bit different mentality of how we want to play. And I think our guys are really excited about that. Uh, so it's it's an exciting time. We'll work towards uh, one more. We'll have a rookie mini camp this weekend, and then we'll work uh, one last week of the phase two before we could at least get into some phase three, which is truly what fans know as you know as OTAs, and then finally finish up with a mandatory mini camp. How do you balance the allocation of your time between being the guy in charge of the offense and being the guy in charge of the team? Some offensive coaches will handle it differently. Some just throw the keys to the defensive coordinator and say, you deal with it. I'm going to focus on the offense. How do you allocate your your individual resources between offense and whole team? Yeah, Mike, I, I looking back on it, I do think that that's one thing uh, that I'm really trying to get better at year one to year two is, you know, really being involved with more on the in the other phases of our team. Um, I felt like I was involved with the kicking game. I felt like, I, you know, no no secret my involvement in our offense. But um, I want to be able to to have, you know, ownership of our defense as well and and really be able to lean in with flow and 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 how we want to play games, how we want to you know, situationally play. And and that's been the really cool thing about getting with him is as a former head coach, he knows, um, you know, what all that entails and, and, and vice versa when he was a defensive head coach, uh, you know, working with the offensive side, he knows how important it is. So him and I get together a lot. We talk through things uh, that those, st those conversations started a long time ago, uh, long before our players ever got back in the building. But um, it's definitely something that when I, you know, when we finished up this past season, I thought to myself things, uh, you know, that I could do better. I can personally improve on. And there were a lot of things, but that would be right up there at the top of the list for me is just continuing to, you know, have that connection with our whole team, uh, not only on a relationship level, which I felt like uh, was was strong in year one, but schematically and understanding the X's and O's and the techniques and fundamentals that we're asking all of our players to do. What's the number one thing that a Vikings fan should be excited about from the standpoint of the new defense scheme, the new coordinator? What What's the one thing that should stand out? Well, I think, uh, you know, they should be excited about Brian Flores in general, uh, the leader, um, his command of what he wants to do defensively, but also his ownership of, of what it takes to play winning football and, and really complimentary football. 
uh, in our league amongst the other phases. And, and then schematically, uh, we're going to, you know, it, it'll feel different. Um, we're going to be a little bit more aggressive at times. Um, we're going to pick our spots to, to try to affect the quarterback maybe differently than just disguise. We're going to try to pressure. We're going to, uh, you know, show different looks where we can do a lot of different things out of those looks. And, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, in those moments, uh, we call them, you know, flow calls them weighty downs, those third down, those red zones, those two minutes uh, where you can truly affect the game with a play call or two. Um, I think he's going to do that. And um, I think the the last part of it, Mike, is is just the idea of development as well. Um, you know, I, this guy loves to coach football, loves to be on the grass, uh, coaching not only the players, but the coaches as well um, and, and holding each other to a uh, a championship standard of, a, you know, being accountable, not only to one another, but, uh, you know, he puts uh, a lot on himself and and his experience of calling defenses and Super Bowls and, and, uh, you know, obviously being a head coach, like I mentioned, uh, I can see that already, just how organized he is, how he delivers information. Um, I think our guys have really responded to it early on and, and there's nowhere to go uh, at this point than to use that excitement and enthusiasm and just try to build something really special on that side of the ball. And I used the term scheme earlier, but along the way, I did pick up the impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I think Coach Flores' attitude is more one of matchup, not scheme. That the scheme could change, maybe even dramatically, week to week, based upon the cards that are being dealt from the other team's offense. Is that fair characterization of what you guys plan to do? Yeah, it's fair. Uh, when I look at it and, and through the pretty extensive interview process with him, just learning about uh, it's one thing to be multiple and to be have the ability to do a lot of things, Mike, but it's another thing to to make it learnable and, and things carry over from one thing to another, regardless of what personnel group you may be in, how many DBs are on the field, how many big D linemen are on the field. Um, things carry over from a verbiage standpoint, from a communication standpoint, so that you can then be multiple and be week to week, uh, you know, still staying true to what you believe in from a foundational standpoint of the principles you want your team to play with, you want your defense to play with, uh, but then um, each and every week putting those guys in the best positions to have success by uh, your ability to do what you do well, but also be multiple um, and still have that attacking mindset to go with it. I, I, you know, I think that's what I'm most excited about. How's it feel to have Aaron Rodgers out of the division? You know, I, 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 I will tell you that, uh, you know, that was uh, one that uh, when the final news broke, uh, knowing that, uh, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback was out of division, um, I, you know, I was excited to see him go to a place he was excited to go to. Um, but I do know those guys up in uh, up in Green Bay, you know, you know, Matt does a great job with that offense. They're going to make it uh, quarterback friendly and just watching the way uh, Jordan Love played a year ago when he got in there. You can see that um, he's been hard at work at his development and, and, and really showed in his times getting in there. So uh, we're expecting to see the same high powered offense that they've always had up there. Um, but uh, make no mistake about it. Aaron Rodgers not being uh, playing, not playing quarterback for that team. Um, you know, changes uh, what it's been like to play them for a really, really long time. And then even going back before that uh, with Brett Favre before that, I mean, you're, you're talking so long in, in, in a time where, um, you know, quarterbacks do tend to, to you know, change location, change teams from time to time. Uh, to have those two guys playing for so long is, is, is really something. 
Something you mentioned to Chris Sims and me at the scouting combine, Kirk Cousins spoke about it last week, the fact that he's got the same person in his ear for the second straight year for the first time since he was in Washington. Now, the answer I'm sure is obvious to you, probably obvious to me, or at least should be, help the person out there who doesn't really understand the nuts and bolts, get a grasp on what it means to have that kind of continuity and how in a given situation this year, there's a higher likelihood of a better outcome than last year because of that layering of experience. Yeah. Just, you know, you just start out in the, in the pure, simple form of just verbiage uh, you know, what we call things, how we line up uh, motions and shifts and uh, the way we use different personnel uh, you've got to learn first and foremost what all those words are and then be able to say them, uh, you know, in a split second in the huddle and articulate, uh, you know, what all the other 10 guys in the huddle have to do, snap in and snap out. And then the responsibility at the line of scrimmage in our offense to get us into uh, premier plays versus premier looks and and then ultimately, uh, you know, be an extension of me on the field uh, that takes time. And I, I thought Kirk did an incredible job a year ago. Uh, using his experience from previous offenses and maybe even uh, our previous times together um, to play at a really high level in 2022. But I think what I'm excited about the most is just his comfort level of he knows the offense. He knows um, the areas of the offense that, uh, you know, he played, he did a lot of really great things in, and he also knows certain aspects of maybe playing, playing the position in this offense that he's excited about attacking this off season and, and being the best version of himself for this season. And, and I'll give you an example uh, of, of just even in our off season program, running plays, um, you know, you know, breaking the huddle, uh, me giving him plays and us going to the line of scrimmage, I can now say to him, hey, I want to run this, you know, pick a formation or, hey, we're in we're in uh, this personnel grouping. Uh, you know, let's get this run off and, and you pick the can you pick what we call, you know, we say can when we're going to change the play to another play um, and he can just walk in the huddle, you know, and, and and dial everybody in and we can go up there and have great execution. Um, and I think that's kind of been seen amongst the continuity of the offensive line that we're able to bring back uh, the growth of a guy like KJ Osborne, even TJ Hawkinson in the 10 games he played, he did an unbelievable job coming in midweek and really going out and, and having a major role, even that week against the commanders that uh, he, he showed up and, and, and had a huge impact. You see his ownership of just our offense, you know, a lot of plays can tend to be the same, Mike, but it's the detail um, it's the it's the nuances of, of fundamentally and technically doing your job at a really high level. And then the the ease of being consistent with that so that you can not only do your job well, but the other 10 guys can rely on you uh, to do your part. And then you kind of see it all come together. And then how many plays over and over and over again uh, can we have our group doing that? What's the top attribute that Kirk Cousins has that you believe he doesn't get enough credit for? Well, to me, he's got two things that are, you know, main requirements that I believe to play quarterback in the NFL. He's extremely accurate uh, and he's tough and durable. So I, I don't know if you can really, uh, you know, quantitatively put, you know, that second part into a statistic. I can just tell you that uh, he's played a lot of football in his career. He consistently is out there every Sunday uh, competing to win football games and and can handle the rigors of playing the quarterback position in an NFL offense where we put a lot on his plate. He has a ton to do 
uh, with our success as an offense. And then uh, you can just never under undervalue uh, the ability to throw the football at a world-class level and put it where you want to put it um, location wise. Uh, you know, the, the, you think back to some of the big throws he made a year ago in critical moments uh, that won us a lot of football games. You know, when we win 13 games, you can go back and find throws uh, that I don't think a lot of people are making um, at that type of level, consistent wise, um, playing this position from an NFL pocket and being able to uh, do the things that that we ask him to do, which are a lot. So I think those two things are the starting point, and then we can get into a lot of, as far as uh, his ability to process information, his understanding of defenses, and then ultimately uh, just his ability to run the show and 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 be one of our core leaders of our football team. Flip side of that coin, then, what would you like to see him add? An area where you you would like to see him improve as he enters this next year of his career. I think he showed it at times last year, Mike, but that athleticism uh, to to maybe not impact the game the way some of the, you know, the great athletes that are playing quarterback in the NFL right now uh, impact. But there is a lot, there's some plays where I think uh, he doesn't give himself enough credit of his ability to extend. I think back to that, you know, red zone scramble for a touchdown against the Cardinals last year on a critical third down or even keeping drives alive, stealing a first down. Uh, when I call a bad play and, and he's got nobody there to convert, um, and he finds a way to uh, extend a play and maybe use his legs to either uh, get that first down or extend a play and make a playoff schedule with his arm. Uh, I think he's capable of doing those things. And um, I think he's, you know, that's going to be something, his comfort, his understanding year one to year two, you just have that much more awareness of not only where your 11 guys are on the field, uh, but defensively how it all works together. And, and you can continue uh, by any means necessary to attack whatever voids and vacancies may be out there for us on each individual play. Is this something you try to actively draw out of him or you just hope as he becomes more comfortable, he'll make that decision on his own to take advantage of those opportunities? I think it's something that he he's talked about with me before. And it's just when those plays and, and those opportunities present themselves, um, just being okay with, you know, making that decision and, and then more importantly, living with the results of that decision and trusting the process at which we go about teaching each and every play in our pass or run game um, to give our players ownership of it. And, and there's nobody more important in that uh, than our quarterback. And, and I think that uh, that's what I'm excited for. And I think he's excited for he's doing a great job working, you know, with Chris O'Hara, our quarterbacks coach and Grant Udinsky, our assistant quarterbacks coach. Every single day I walk out there. Um, he's working something from a standpoint of technique, fundamentals, and, uh, you know, not getting bored with doing uh, doing the the things that you have to do every single snap technically, fundamentally, uh, to make sure you're consistently able uh, to activate uh, your talent. And and he's got a ton of it from a standpoint of throwing the football. And, and uh, like I said, I, I don't think he gives himself enough credit uh, for his ability to impact the game athletically. You mentioned receiver K.J. Osborne earlier, and I'm a K.J. Osborne fan going back to the moment he caught the game winner in overtime against the Panthers and took his helmet off and threw it as an homage to Stephon Diggs. When Adam Thielen didn't return, and I've heard Kirk Cousins praise K.J. and say he should get more opportunities, my thought is he steps into the starting lineup. It's him, it's J.J., it's T.J., and off you go. Then comes Jordan Addison via yep. round one. What's your message to a KJ Osborne when he, I would say, understandably says, what, what about me? 
as the, the number two to Justin Jefferson, given that you drafted Jordan Addison? Yeah, I, I had that conversation with KJ because uh, I've told him many times, but I, I value him tremendously uh, in our offense, all the different roles and responsibilities that he has, um, you know, both in the run and pass game. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit uh, for, uh, you know, really taking on uh, a lot of the jobs that that people saw Cooper Cup do in L.A. in the run game that uh, maybe don't get the, you know, the headlines, but uh, doing things in the run game that that just quite honestly, not a lot of receivers can do. And then you fast forward to a critical third down, you know, some of the red zone uh, you know, opportunities he got last year, uh, explosive chances to, 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 you know, gain big yardage on some plays by isolating him in matchups. KJ can do all of those things. He's having a great offseason. I, I firmly uh, expect him to have a great season for us in, in a role where I think in the receiver room, when you've got a guy like Justin Jefferson, uh, I think it's important that you have multiple other guys capable of not only winning one-on-one -on -one matchups consistently, uh, but making those plays and, and, and extending drives and doing all the little things uh, that you have to do, uh, you know, with the versatility that you have to do them with when you're lining up in a lot of different spots. When we move Justin Jefferson, that moves the other two receivers on the field a lot of times to different spots as well. Um, you know, we, we want to be able to use our tight ends and C.J. Hammett fullback. Uh, how that works uh, requires players uh, that are really smart, that understand what we're trying to get done. And then the, having the physical skill set that KJ does, and he is a proven uh, receiver in this league. We're really, really excited uh, about, uh, you know, his growth this year in our offense. And uh, he's going to get more opportunities just by, uh, you know, his understanding of what we're asking of him. But then it's on us as coaches to continue to put him in positions uh, to do the things that he does well, which uh, we feel are a whole heck of a lot of things. Through the first 19 picks this year, there were no receivers taken. You had to be feeling pretty good about getting whoever you were targeting at number 23. Yep. And given that you took a receiver, you had to be wondering, holy crap, as they start coming off the board one after another, 19 after 19, 20, 21, 22. What's, what's kind of your own thought? And, and I don't want you to, I'm not asking you, was there another receiver that you had targeted mm -hmm. above Jordan Addison? Just the idea that all of a sudden here comes this run and a position where we had targeted as a need, now these guys are flying off the board. What's the mood in the draft room as that's unfolding? Yeah, Mike, I, I can tell you, we expected there to be a run uh, on receivers <laughs> more than likely when the first one went. Um, we were just hoping it was not going to be at 12 or 13, 14, 15, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, we're watching those guys fly off the board uh, before we ever get an opportunity to draft one of those guys. So uh, we were very much honed in on the fact that uh, we figured there'd be some quarterbacks go high in the draft. There were some great defensive players up at the top, some offensive linemen, um, you know, the the corners that were available. Um, watching the way it all kind of played out, um, we were excited once, you know, that run started where it did. Uh, we knew we were going to get a quality player at that position um, I was crossing my fingers that player would be Jordan Addison. Um, I fell in love with just watching his tape throughout the process and getting to know him. We hosted him on a 30 visit uh, here at our facility, uh, spent a lot of time watching tape with him um, and just talking about the nuances of running routes, uh, how he looks at it from a standpoint of where he hopes to go with his game and, and continued improvement. Um, we were really, really excited uh, with how that first round played out. 
Justin Jefferson eligible for a second contract. There's been some talk about the possibility of an extension. Is there a timeline in place, start a training camp, week one, or just TBD? Yeah, I don't uh, I, I don't know if I'd put a timeline on it. I just know that, you know, we very much are looking forward to to having Justin play here for a really long time. Um, he has significantly impacted our organization in so many positive ways on and off the field. Um, I look forward to when, you know, we get that done and 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 we can move forward knowing that Justin's going to be here for for the long term and and we will get that done. Uh, Justin knows his representation knows uh, exactly how we feel about him um and and we'll work through that process here uh over the the rest of this spring on into summer and then um if if we can get something done uh, nobody will be more excited about it than me and and uh we'll be looking forward to seeing what Justin does uh in year 2 I mean, in this offense i mean talk about a guy that was able to handle a lot it's not like we came in here year 1 and said we're going to run this you know minimal version of our offense uh, to truly maximize him uh, in our offense. It, it required him to handle a lot, a lot, a lot of football. Um, and he did it really seamlessly and prepared every single week uh, mentally and physically to go out there and do the things that he did all season long. Uh, just a spectacular season a year ago for him. And uh, like I said, just can't wait to see what he's able to do in year two in this offense. Couple more, and then I'll let you run. Dalvin Cook's status has been shrouded in mystery for most of the offseason. Is there any clarity about whether or not he'll be on the team this year? Are there negotiations to be had? Deliberations still to be done? Where does that stand? Because there just isn't a sense that there's been resolution yet. Yeah, I I, I tend to let uh, Kwesi and and Rob, you know, work through things, you know, contractually or, or whatever may be there. Um, I can just tell you, you know, what Dalvin meant to me, not only in year one, uh, you know, as one of our core leaders of our team, um, but also just the impact he had on the field. Uh, you know, his consistency, his toughness, durability, uh, playing through uh, some different things and, and consistently being out there for us in critical moments and just some of the huge plays that he made, uh, you know, right alongside Kirk and Justin and the rest of our offensive players. Um, you know, really, you know, is will never be lost on me. But uh, I, I, you know, we want what's best for Dalvin, and and Dalvin knows that, and and we continue to work through, um, you know, that situation, knowing that the respect uh, that the Minnesota Vikings and our organization have for Dalvin uh, has been earned. But it's more than that, Mike. It's you know, I you know, we care about uh, obviously the player, and and ultimately he's under contract and. Um, you know, very much something that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't take for granted having had Dalvin Cook on this team and, and, and what that's meant to me as a coach here in year one. And, and uh, we'll see where things go here the rest of the offseason. They're still, um, you know, working through some things and, and, and I'm sure we'll come, come to a great resolution. And if that means Dalvin Cook is still playing running back for the Vikings, um, that's something that, that uh, will be a really good thing for me as the head coach and play caller. All right, last one, and I mean it because I've already kept you longer than I intended to, although I could still keep asking you questions for another hour if you would let me. This piece of paper has your schedule. I hand it to you right now. What's the first thing you're looking for? Wow, I'm definitely looking for our divisional games first. Um, you know, when we play, uh, you know, not, not only our home games, but, uh, you know, when we go on the road, you know, what type of uh, – what time of year in the in the schedule is it? Um, and then I'm obviously looking at at uh, Thursday games. I'm looking at how uh, I'll start crafting our, our our working schedule to make sure, uh, like we always do, everything we do is is for the players and to make sure 
that when that three and a half hour window kicks off on Sunday or Monday night or Thursday night, uh, or in some cases last year, Saturdays, uh, we're doing everything in our power uh, with the resources that we have in our building to make sure our players are at their best uh, when that ball gets kicked off. So that's always the first thing. Um, and then you take a step back and and really start to look at kind of the different quarters of the season. Um, you know, it used to be easy when we had 16 to just break it up into the four quarters. Uh, but uh, you still try to do that knowing uh, the different ebbs and flows of the season and, and how you can best prepare your team. You know, 95% of the time I say it's the last question. There's always one more because there's something in the answer there that just compels one more. Just let me ask you one more. And, and I mean it this time. I really do. Um, we talked about Jordan Love and the Packers and the transition away from Aaron Rodgers earlier. Would you rather get him early when maybe he's not as comfortable as he's going to be in the offense? Or would you rather get him later when you have enough film that you can figure out what he's doing and you can be better prepared for whatever they're doing in the offense? What would your preference be? Yeah, I don't know if I truly have a preference because I think, um, you know, with the amount of time and preparation you get in training camp, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you look at our team a year ago, we played one of our best games of the season, um, you know, in that week one opener. Um, you know, and we had a very detailed plan leading into that to get our guys ready to go. Um, but then, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's it's really something where you got to go out every Sunday and expect to get the opponent's best shot. And, and that's from the quarterback position. That's from the other coaching staff. Uh, if you're going on the road, that's from the fan base uh, that you're playing against. That's just what this league is all about. So I don't particularly have any strong feeling one way or the other. I just know. Uh, that my job is to prepare our team to to be at their best and and how many consistent Sundays or Thursday nights or or Monday nights can we do that uh, throughout the regular season and hopefully give ourselves a chance to compete for a championship. Well, this has been great. I'll let you get back to far more important things. We appreciate your time as always. Good luck the rest of the offseason. Hope to talk to you again real soon and uh, get some rest and relaxation at some point before everything gets rolling in training camp. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait.
Auto Trader.